Hi, I'm Matthew Viriapa, and you're listening to Songwriters and Tour Writers. On this episode is Canadian punk band, Pup. This interview has been a long time coming. I talked to Stefan Babcock, the lead singer and songwriter for the band, over the phone back in February, when listening to song lyrics about embracing calamity and having dark thoughts hit very differently as compared to now. But I'm really glad that this is finally coming out, and maybe hearing lyrics like that is exactly what you need right now. Are you in Arizona right now? I am, yeah. Where are you? Uh, I'm in uh, Oklahoma City. It's cool that you're, uh, you know, around the Southwest. Yeah, I like it here. Uh, I don't know what it'd be like to live out here. I've never done that, obviously, but I like the desert. I like mountains, and uh, it's nice change from Toronto, where it's like snowing and mucky and gross right now. And we've never actually we've never been to Oklahoma, so uh, I'm excited about that. First off, I should say congrats. Right, you recently got engaged. Yeah pretty crazy i mean i've been with um my partner for eight years so <laughs> uh, i guess it's about time but no it's nice it, it, it was nice to kind of just commit to that and is she the subject of that second song off morbid stuff yeah that's her <laughs> she uh i don't know i don't think she loves those lyrics but uh she's accepted that that's kind of a part of the relationship It is definitely like the most aggressive like love song I think I've heard. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. I, I, you know, I, I haven't written like a normal, traditional love song since I was like maybe fifteen or sixteen years old. So I just find whenever I attempt those, uh, they just sound uh, terrible and cheesy. Maybe I'm just trying to write love songs that feel a bit more real to me and the, the the love that that her and I have together may be a little bit strange to some people. There's only one way that I know how to write, and that's just like being brutally honest about myself and the people around me, which um, can be tough for some of the people around me sometimes. You know, I really love her, and I, and I want to write love songs sometimes. Like, you know, Kids is a perfect example of how love songs pop out of me in a weird way um, that a lot of people wouldn't really consider love songs. But I think I do. And I think she also recognizes that I'm trying to say a nice thing. How does she feel knowing that like you wrote a song about your car and then your chameleon before writing a song for her, I guess. (laughs) Well, uh, it's funny when the dream is over came out, uh, she used to, she used to kind of joke around that she was pissed off that 
that uh, I hadn't written a love song about her, but the fucking chameleon got a love song. Um, <laughs> it's tough. It's like you can't, I, the way that I write, I don't really sit down and, and say like, I'm going to try to write a song about this today. You know, it's more like whatever I'm thinking and feeling most passionately in that moment is what sort of um, pops out. So I think, uh, I think in a way, um, she's been in the past kind of relieved that I don't, uh, write too, too much about her. (laughs) But when I do, you know, I try to make it, I try to make it as nice as possible without, you know, without making anything fake. I, I just, I really think for for me and for the way that I write songs, honesty is like the most kind of important thing about the style of songwriting that I do. I mean, I kind of understand her perspective considering like the second album you guys put out was you basically like trying to uh, exercise this angst and like um, this feeling of wanting to kill your bandmates because you were on tour for so long. For a second, let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a thing that she was able to relate to as well, too, because, um, you know, I think everybody sees, like, the really great side of touring. Like, it's so fun. We get to play these shows, you know, it's four best friends and, and our, our very, like, you know, our best friends who are also in our crew and we're on tour together traveling and it's fun and awesome and we party and, and that, but there's a dark side to touring. And uh, I kind of fixated on that on the second record. I think it was relatable to my partner as well and all of our partners because, you know, not in the same way that we go through it, but they have to go through it as well. Like they have to be our moral support and they have to be uh, away from us for months on end and they have to kind of deal with the same, the same sort of shit. So I think, I think if you asked her, she'd probably say that was her favorite pup record. The, the song about your chameleon, um, Sleep in the Heat, if you told somebody that it was about a chameleon, they wouldn't, like, get it, like, initially. Like, you can listen to that song and just, like, feel like it's something something different. I think a lot of people found it kind of stupid that I was so upset when my chameleon died because it was just a chameleon, you know? People don't really have that kind of thing where, like, they don't really consider it like a dog or like a family member, but I felt that loss pretty intensely. I knew that writing that song, there, 
you know, I knew that I couldn't feel like, I'm so sad that my chameleon is dead because that's not a thing that very many people can relate to. And it's not, it also sounds really stupid. And I didn't, I, as many stupid jokey songs as I've written, uh, I didn't want that to be one of them. I tried to articulate my feelings without, while being kind of a little bit vague on the situation. You know, a lot of people uh, are kind of surprised when they find out it's about a chameleon and not like I've had a lot of people like think that like it was about a girlfriend who OD'd, but I'm glad that people are able to kind of take that song and take away from it the feeling that I had and have and was trying to kind of convey and uh, regardless of what they think it's about, I, I think that people are able to kind of walk away with the, the sense of sadness that I was kind of feeling at that time. And that second album came out, you know, despite some like difficult experiences. A lot of the stuff on the album draws from like the touring stuff, but there was also that like really scary like health thing involving your throat. Um, how are you guys approaching things differently on this go around? Because it seems like you guys are still touring as hard as ever. Uh, yeah, um, it's been <laughs> it's been a struggle for me. I mean. I think the reality is that like I I sing this type of music and I sing hard every night and I guess the biggest change has sort of been like um the way that I take care of myself like I I'm a bit older I don't party quite as much I try to sleep a lot and um and eat well and you know all that boring stuff that is kind of like uh you know, is not so glamorous to talk about, but like, if you want to do what we do, which is being on the road, you know, nine months of the year, 10 months of the year, um, you can't light it up every night. You can still light it up like a normal person would once a week or whatever that is, but, um, you can't be doing it every night. It's just not sustainable, especially when you're, you know, my age 31 and, and just constantly on the road. Y'all are, are also pretty big advocates of like mental health and uh you know some of the proceeds for your tour have gone to the trevor project do you feel like writing and performing these songs helps with your like overall mental health or do you like try and be mentally healthy i guess not just for your personal life but also to be able to write and sing about these things i have a weird relationship with uh that kind of stuff because I think a lot of bands that write songs like us about mental health, um, at times it can kind of feel like you're capitalizing on your own, uh, mental health issues and you're capitalizing on other people's kind of sadness or depression or anxiety or whatever, whatever, you know? Um, and it's something that I'm very keenly aware of. And it's something that I have struggled with myself and I don't have an answer. I think that the best answer that I've come up with is all I can do is 
be honest about about that with myself and with people who listen to our music. So I've written songs like on morbid stuff that kind of where I'm kind of calling myself out um, for essentially making making money by being a miserable prick. <laughs> um, it's a tough kind of line to navigate between being honest. Like, you know, I, I write a lot of songs about being bummed out uh, and that's important because I am. And then uh, navigating that line between that and, um, and not kind of taking advantage of my situation, uh, if that makes sense. I just hate the myth of the fucking tortured artist. I hate this idea that you have to be suffering to make good art. It's just so bullshit. Best songs I've ever written, I've written when I was feeling pretty good. Even if they were about feeling bad, it was more like I was feeling good and looking back on what times when I felt bad. I kind of hate that myth, and, and I hope more than anything that uh, the songs help other people because they've helped me a lot. I find find it really cathartic to write music and and play music in front of crowds and and write music with my friends and kind of like celebrate all the, the negative things that a lot of people have to go through every day. The song Free at Last really feels like a song where you're you're tackling like those issues you were just talking about. Yeah. I mean that song is really more than anything, it's directed at myself, you know, the chorus being just cause you're sad again it doesn't make you special. that uh, there, there are many people out there who could use that same advice, but mostly it's um, directed at myself as a constant constant reminder. That song and another song called uh, Full Blown Melt- Meltdown, they're songs that we play pretty much every night on tour, and they're reminders to myself not to, not to glorify this disease that is terrible. There's nothing good about it. It's weird that, that I have to remind myself about that, but... Uh, it is a reality when you're making money off of it. For the music video, I feel like anyone who has ever tried to learn, like, a guitar or, like, rock song can super relate to the Free at Last uh, music video. We had that song Free at Last written and recorded and we hadn't put it out yet. And I really wanted, I really had this like idea of wanting, it wasn't even an idea to do a music video. It was just an idea that I had that I wanted to write the chords and the lyrics and ask people to like just cover it. I just wanted to do a sort of social experiment and see what kind of songs people thought pop were writing so we did that we put we put the lyrics and the chords in a zine uh just like it was really just to satisfy my own curiosity 
and people started sending us their versions of the song and we got so many people sending in their versions of the song uh, and so many of them were so good that we kind of felt like all right like we have to we we can't this can't just be for us like we want to show the world this is what free at last by pup sounds like i was kissing we had over 250 people submit like covers like you know covers of a song that they've never heard uh which is really interesting and we had yeah we had you know rock rock versions and then we had you know rap and hip-hop and trap versions and we had like a klezmer version and we had a mariachi version and an opera version it's a, it kind of like yeah kind of all over the map it doesn't make you special it doesn't make you special i think one of the most interesting things about it is that out of 250 some odd submissions um none of them sounded like our version and also none of them sounded like each other like everybody kind of interpreted those lyrics and those chords in a unique way. So uh, it was really kind of cool and interesting to, to hear how creative people can be given the right tools. Yeah, and my favorite like part was definitely the end where a kid just like says like, oh crap, I forgot, I forgot the solo. And then he just decides <laughs> to do it, <laughs> not even like redo the video. Yeah, yeah, that was when we saw that submission we were all just cracking up and crying and we knew like we had to finish the video with it oh shoot i missed the guitar solo sorry that guy's name is wally we we uh reached out to him before we included it and just made sure it was cool with him because we didn't want uh, him to think that we were kind of making fun of him. We literally thought it was hilarious. Uh, we've sort of gotten to know him a little bit um, over the internet um, since then, and he's actually a really good guitar player who is also really funny, who is just kind of like uh, being a little bit of a twerp, and I loved it. Okay, that's it. All right, back to the... Just because you're sad again doesn't make you... Yeah, you guys do a lot of like um unique music videos that kind of involve your fans like this recent one that you just put out for morbid stuff you guys just gave like a bunch of like hd cameras <laughs> to people coming up to a show and just like stitched it together yeah i mean hd is a generous term <laughs> they are literally the cheapest cameras we could buy on amazon um <laughs> so yeah, we, we ordered about 20 of them and gave them out to people in the crowd and uh, we had no clue what we what to expect, but it, it turned out uh, it turned out pretty well, I think. Shooting a music video with this like terrible shitty camera. Can you me? I'm filming. you guys get all 20 back we got them all back yeah uh most of them were broken but we got them back there's a lot of people going into the pit with them uh but yeah no we got them all back and 
we rescued all the memory cards from them and uh, it turned out much better than I anticipated. I just want to see like the pit footage of that just like raw uncut <laughs> up to the point where they're broken yeah it's just, it's a whole lot of shaky blurry stuff like you can't tell what's happening and then the screen just turns blue and it's over you know <laughs> so uh it was fun it's fun to watch through all that stuff so uh and see how excited some of those people were and it's also nice for us to like you know um you know, I just feel like the people who come to our shows are such a big part of the show. Like, so much of what I think makes our live show special is the the way that the audience interacts with us and we interact with them. Um, and so we like to kind of, you know, include the people who listen to the music um, as much as possible in our, in our careers. Because I kind of feel like, they're the fifth member of Pup, you know. That's why we did the last video and the Morbid Stuff video, and uh, yeah, it's just uh, that's why we do the zines. And I just feel like we're really lucky because we have a really um, awesome, engaged group of people who are who are fans, and um, they seem to be really creative. So uh, it's cool to to collaborate with them when we can. Yeah, y'all are really, like, kind of giving. I remember, like, going onto the subreddit uh, when that first or second album came out, and, like, one of either you or uh, your other guitarist, you or him would give, like, all the tabs for the guitar, like, right in the post. That would be Steve, um, because uh, I don't really... He's musically trained, so he's capable of... Uh, kind of transposing that stuff but i don't understand i just know where i put my fingers so uh so i'm a bit uh dumb when it comes to music theory but uh yeah he's been great about kind of tapping out the songs how is it being like the kind of primary songwriter when you know you're not really a music theory person oh uh, i'm just kind of lucky because my three bandmates all are like they all they all speak music right like they like yeah, they all know theory and are are trained musicians, and I am really not. So it, I think that's one of the couple elements that kind of make the songs turn out pretty special because I have no clue what the fuck I'm doing. I'm just trying to make something that sounds fun and cool and whatever, and they're kind of interpreting it in a really technical way. So it's funny because when we're in the jam space, sometimes... I'll be like playing a thing that I wrote and be like, this is what I imagine. And they'll have to have like a little sidebar uh, that I'm not included in where they're just kind of talking music to each other and trying to figure out what the hell I'm, I'm trying to communicate and they figure it out in musical terms. And then they can all like kind of return to the jam space and the four of us can play the song. It's uh, I'm really lucky. I'm really lucky to have found 
four friends that I get along with so well and whose um, skill set is so compatible with mine. Yeah, what was it like with some of those early songs like Mabu, for example, like just like showing it to them and be like, all right, so what do you guys think from here? <laughs> so uh, we write a lot of stuff in weird time signatures, um, which is something that I didn't really know until people started saying it to me. Um, and Mabu is like a kind of a great example of that. I forget what, what time signature I've been told it's in. I think it's like five, four, seven, four, something. I'm not really sure. But um, in the past, when I, I, you know, in other bands that I've been in, I've, I kind of, how can I explain this? I sort of write melody first. Um, a lot of people will write like, you know, write to a drum track or, or a guitar part. And I'm like thinking about melodies usually first. What was that melody that you first like was the seed for Mabu? Uh, it was just the chords, the chords that I play, which are like, That was just kind of what was in my head, and I was just trying to sort of figure out how to write a guitar part around that. Uh, they often just like kind of come in pieces to me. So try to figure out a chorus sometime at the beginning of the process because if the chorus isn't good, you don't have a song. So I just tend to sometimes write, I guess, melodies that are not 4-4 four, four or 6-4, which are like normal time signatures. Um, I don't really know why. But in past games that I've been in, I've like showed people the stuff that I was uh, writing and they would be like, Oh, I think you're making mistakes here and there and whatever. And then they would change it to four, four, six, four. And it would kind of make the song sort of pretty generic sounding. And the thing with these guys, even from uh, day one was they, they didn't treat like those songs or those parts as mistakes. They kind of, they kind of leaned into it in a way that only people like them with musical training could really lean into you know because like i didn't know that what i was writing was if it was weird or normal or a mistake or the right thing i i didn't i had no idea i was just playing what was kind of in my head and uh they were able to kind of interpret that and and lean into the i guess the quote-unquote weirdness and um that really kind of made the songs a lot more interesting and more interesting than than i had even you know kind of imagined them in my head didn't you come from like a ska background? <laughs> I did, yeah. Before this band, I used to play in a ska band. Definitely um, shaped a lot of uh, a lot of how I learned to write music was definitely shaped by being in a ska band, which is. Seems weird to say it now because pop is the opposite of that. We will refuse to play ska rhythms or anything like that, but it's definitely how I kind of learned learn to write songs and hone my, my songwriting skills in a ska band. I wanna run on the 
when you were like singing that like Mabu melody, like it did have like a certain like I don't know like skankability to it, or like I don't you could skank to it in my mind if you just like change the r- rhythm up a little bit. But yeah, sure, yeah. I mean, it's funny. I think I think the biggest carryover for me in terms of writing songs and being in a ska band was when I was writing songs for a ska band. I would write a normal song and then the, you know, where the guitar riff would be or whatever, or the bridge would be or whatever. That's where you have horn parts, right? So I'd write horn parts too. And then, you know, like the hooks in a horn part were like a huge part of that band. So that's, that was kind of the, the quote unquote choruses for us were like really catchy horn parts. Um, and then when I started writing songs, not ska songs, um, I didn't really know how to replace the horn parts. And the first bunch of pop songs all had tons of woe in them because we didn't have horns and we didn't want horns, but we wanted to keep those kind of catchy melodies. So we just sang a lot of woes all the time. And that was something that I had to kind of slowly get away from and learn that there's a time and a place to, for woes in a song. Uh, but it's certainly not every song and, uh, you got to choose those battles wisely and find other ways to kind of create musical hooks. What do you think is the most like woe filled song? Back Against the Wall has a lot of woes in it. First record in general has a lot of woes in it. Um, I still love a good woe part. Like I, I still like think it's really good. Like you know, we were talking about that song "Sleep in the Heat" earlier, and that has the bridge is the big woe kind of sing along woe section. Uh, but I think that's maybe one of two two woe parts on that record, which is the appropriate amount. Uh, versus, I think the first record. I would say probably half the songs have woes in them, and that's a, that's a little much, you know? Hello, you're actually listening to a song by Topanga, which later became Pup. We'll talk more about that next, but I'm here before the next Woe section with a reminder that this is a listener-supported show, and besides donations you can make to KOSU, reviews and ratings help this show a lot. Now, back to the... Scorpion Hill, a song that you feel like could have been played by like the previous version of the band uh, Topanga, 
Because what I've heard is that Topanga, before, you know, kind of turning into Pup, was a little bit more alt-country like that towards the beginning. Yeah, the old version of our band was definitely a little more, I guess I would call it a bit more folky. I think that song would have fit well with that band. It's not how they told you But also Scorpion Hill, you know, kind of goes from one thing to another thing where it's pretty like, you know, straight ahead sort of punky thing in the middle of the song. would have fit with our old band Topanga but um, I don't think we were really I don't think that band was you know musically mature enough to kind of uh, play a song like Scorpion Hill We would never have been like, oh, five-minute song, no problem. You know what I mean? Now, on our third record as pop, you know, our bread and butter is a three-minute punk song, but we're okay to kind of um, stretch out a bit, and we can throw in a six-minute slow burn song um, or throw in a one-minute ripper or whatever. feels like a very kind of specific concoction scorpion hill where you guys are bringing in a lot of different like influences like i don't know like for some reason i think of like wilco or but then there's like this really like heavy like punk drum rhythm going on mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think um wilco is a big influence definitely for i'd say more so for the other guys than myself although i do like wilco a lot uh but yeah you nailed it on that one and then the middle of the song, kind of like you were just saying, is really like kind of almost like bad religion-y, which is a big influence on Zach, the drummer. Yeah, but that was an interesting song. Like, it, I do feel like it does kind of play across a pretty like wide 
a uh, number of genres, um, which is uh, a bit a bit of a stretch for us. Um, but it was just something that we felt like we could do and we should try. And the whole song kind of works together pretty well, I think, because, I mean, it, it was one of the only songs I've ever written where it all kind of came together at, at once like usually as i was saying i'm writing like kind of piece by piece and and piecing songs together like a puzzle but that one kind of just dropped out um fully formed so i think that's why all those kind of influences sort of work together on that song so y'all have your own label now like uh what are you guys gonna try and do with that yeah i'm not i'm not quite sure yet um there was a way to sort of stay in control of things artistically and stay connected to our DIY roots. So, um, so we started that label and it's also allowed us to do a lot of stupid shit that most labels would never let us do. Like, uh, when we put out morbid stuff, we had a pre-order that included a full on inflatable boat. And it's like, it's such a stupid idea. Like no labels in their right mind wouldn't let us do that. But, uh, since we get to call the shots, we can, pursue almost every stupid ridiculous idea we have which has been really fun didn't you guys sell all those boats yeah we sold out of them like pretty fast like i think in a week or something we sold out of them and we made a lot of them too like <laughs> i don't know what we we're thinking but uh and yeah i don't know i don't know if i want it to be i don't think i want it to be a normal traditional label like i don't i don't think anyone in their right mind starts a record label traditional record label in 2020 but I would like to just put out cool things that my friends do, uh, not necessarily full records, but like just cool, cool stuff. Um, we put out Amanda, Amanda Fotis photo book. Um, she's, she's my partner and our photographer. And, um, she's just like been documenting the Toronto punk and hardcore scene for 10 years and is probably doing that better than anyone else in Canada. So we put out her, um, her photo book, which was really successful. And um, we put out a comedy record by our pal, uh, Dave Ross, who's a, a pretty well-known comedian in LA. And uh, we're just, you know, I just want to work with people that I like and who are making cool shit and not really worry too much about what this thing is going to become and just, just kind of do the things that are fun and, and don't do it if it's not if it's not fun, you know, what's next for you guys got some stuff in the bag that I'm excited to share with people. I don't want to say anything more than that, but, uh, definitely have some, some hashtag content coming up. And then, um, yeah, once this tour cycle is done, I guess it's going to be time to start writing the next record, which I'm also looking forward to because I love writing music more than anything in the world right now. So, That was Stefan Babcock of Pup. You can find out more about them and the list of songs on this episode on KOSU.org. Songwriters and Tour Writers is a production of KOSU in the service of Oklahoma State University. Our editor is Ryan McCroy, and our cover art was created by Terry Ferris. You can find Songwriters and Tour Writers wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Matthew Variapa. You know, won't take-